Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, Mike Posner. What up, dog? What up, dog? <laughs> Thanks for having us here. Do. Your- D-O-E. Why not dog? Why do? In Detroit, where I'm from, this is like an old thing people used to say when I was a kid. What up? They didn't say what up. Everybody there would say what up, do. What up, do? Now they say what's up, baby. What's up, baby? Isn't that kind of crazy? It's a little weird. It's a little forward, but guys say it to guys, girls say it to guys, guys say it to girls. So it's like... It's just like, hi. Universal. Yeah. But I am sticking with what up, though, even though it's archaic. I like it. And out of style. What up, though? So where are we? This is beautiful. We're in Utah. In a beautiful cabin in Powder Mountain. Powder Mountain. How did you pick Powder Mountain? I didn't pick it. My friend let me use his cabin here. Well done. I really want to talk to you about the walk. Let's talk about it. 2,851 miles from Asbury Park, New Jersey to Venice Beach. Why did you do the walk? I mean, I really just wanted to become somebody I was proud of. So I had an inkling in myself that I had more to give than I was. And so I went out there and tried to become kind of like this this like badass superhero version of me, he he walked across America. So I want to try to go become him. And as I did it, I found out I was wrong. I don't have a little more. I have a lot more. You know, when I got to the other side, I, I didn't like crawl into the Pacific Ocean. I sprinted into the ocean. When I finished, I had this feeling not of accomplishment, but of possibility. Like, man, if I could do that, what else can I do? Stop smoking weed a year ago Maybe I'm less cool now, I don't know On April 10th, 2019, musician Mike Posner started his 2,851-mile walk across the United States. The seed for this journey was planted after a few particularly challenging years for the artist. Professionally, he felt stalled as record companies benched entire albums, Personally, he'd been dealing with not only a breakup and the loss of his friend Avicii, but also his father's battle with and loss to brain cancer. After much grappling with life and death, success and plateaus, Mike decided it was time to pursue his own journey. A big, wild idea of a journey. Walking across the United States of America. Peace, I just wanna live before I, live before I die. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. You said you wanted to become someone you were proud of, but you had already done so many things that anybody would be really proud of. So can you talk to me a little bit deeper about why you felt this need to be more proud of yourself? I think it's a personal thing where, like, you know... Even even if you've been successful or you've accomplished something, you know on the inside, hey, I, I could do more. Or there's, the, you know, maybe I'm leaving something on the table. And I just don't want to leave money on the table. I don't want to like my life to end. And, like and, metaphorically. Correct. I don't want to ha- I don't want to not find out what my whole potential is, you know. So imagine we're talking right now and I didn't do the walk. You know, it's like. 
it's just still an idea in my head. And but after I did the walk, all these possibilities just open up for me in my whole life. You know, before I felt like I was in a little box. It didn't seem like a box at the time because it was my whole reality. But now after doing my journey, I realized how small that little box was. It's like, hey, you're Mike. You do these things. This is who you are. Which was like, I'm a musician. Yeah. What was that box before? Yeah, it's kind of like that. You, you know, you're going to do an album, do a tour, and that's going to be I live in LA. Life. Yeah, you're going to live in LA. You're going to do it. You know what I mean? I can see. So, but why, you could have done a lot of wild things, but walking across America is, is a pretty wild goal. Why did you choose to do that? Like, what inspired you to pick that? I don't really know. It's just I heard about somebody else doing it about five, six years ago. And I said, what? You could do that? You know, and people do it every year. And a lot of them do it in more badass ways than me with less support, like the gentleman you talk to or and faster. So that's an interesting thing too. You like put yourself into an environment like, like I did and like the projects you've done. And all of a sudden you're surrounded by this new community. And so... Yeah, we talk on the podcast, like, wow, that's a crazy thing you did. But I was in contact with like six, seven other people that were either walking or running. Mm. Most of them were going faster than me. Most of them had less support than me. So I didn't even really feel that special while I was out there. And so it just, um, it just the paradigm shifts. And you, like I was way outside of that box that I was in before. If you haven't heard of Mike Posner, I can guarantee you've heard his music. His debut album, titled 31 Minutes to Take Off, was released in 2010. It included hits like Cooler Than Me and Please Don't Go. His song, I Took a Pill in Ibiza, was remixed by EDM duo Sieb and subsequently nominated for a Grammy for Song of the Year in 2017. Live Before I Die, the song you'll hear throughout this episode, is one of Mike's recent releases. And the music video, which we'll include in the show notes, features footage from Mike's walk across America. Can we go back? Your voice is so beautiful. Where did you get into playing music and how old were you when you started? I started rapping when I was eight years old. I'm 31 now. How did you get into rapping at eight? Like, did someone teach you? I was just some older cousins that rapped. And where I grew up is like, uh, there's a suburb of Detroit called Southfield. It's mostly um, black suburb. So, yeah, all my friends, we all listen to hip hop. It's just what we were into. And, uh, yeah, we just like screwed around rapping. And everyone, we'd try freestyling and stuff. And I think everyone... My buddies, the first time we freestyled, that they thought, like, oh, that was fun. But I remember being like, I'm never going to stop doing that. I'm going to get really good at that. And so I just haven't really stopped. And then uh, so just learned how to make beats then when I was 13 or so. And when I was 20, I started messing around singing. Do you remember what those early lyrics were when no, you were eight? Everybody always asks me. I don't oh, know, just, I just can only though. imagine. They suck, though, for sure. But an eight-year-old lyric would be really funny to go back and listen to. Yeah, I thought I was so good. I'm just, we all do. Thought but you probably sick. were pretty good. So then you started no. singing. <laughs> no, I sucked, man, for sure. And what happened when you, you sang your first song? You're like, damn, I'm good. Or you liked it. Or you liked the No, feeling. I actually wasn't very good at singing. I'm still not. You know, I'm not going to like win any American Idol contests or anything. But uh, I mean, maybe a Grammy. <laughs> and, uh, no, I haven't won a Grammy. I've just been nominated. But um. I just uh, I just start playing around 
sing like basically singing my raps. So I, I was such a big hip hop fan that I thought I wanted to hear singers sing the way I wanted to hear them sing as a hip hop fan. So I started putting more polysyllabic rhymes in the things I was singing. So things that a rapper would do. So my first big song is a song called Cooler Than Me. And normally, like in melodic songs, we just rhyme the last syllable of each line. But I like doing these kind of like more complicated internal rhyme schemes. So example is, uh, you got designer shades just to hide your face. So the shades and face, they both rhyme the last word of the each respective line. But also designer and hide your they also rhyme. So these are three syllables rhyming. And I just never really heard anybody sing like that. Art, a million rappers rap like that. But I never heard anybody add melody to those kind of rhyme schemes. So that's what I just started messing around doing that. I was in college and that's kind of how it started. So in college, you really started. Like, did you have professional that's training? That's when I started singing, yeah. No, no. And I sucked. I sucked for sure. Did in you? fact, like... I just knew, I knew how to make beats and produce, and I, I have a setup very similar to this one that I still have, just not as nice a microphone and stuff, but I still just have my laptop and a, and a like really cheap microphone, and I just record myself. So I knew, I just had to do it a million times to where it sounded good to me, but I was not a good singer by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I would just have to sing each kind of part of the song a, a hundred times. In fact, like... Then my songs got popular somehow. Wait, so go back. You're at Duke, which I don't think of as like a musical school. No. So where did you find like people to play with and then get recognized enough to make a song that was big? There was a couple of musicians there that I liked that yeah, they did different things. My friend Eric Holgis, who's now in the band Delta Ray, we were in the group together with my buddy Jeff O. And um, I mean, you guys must have been like the hottest thing on Duke's campus. Not at first, but yeah, we built it up. I know? imagine you it did okay. <laughs> Start to build it up. Like, and I remember seeing this Kid Rock documentary when I was a kid. It said he would do one show a year in Detroit and then just build it up the whole year and it'd be incredible. So I tried to just copy that. Like, I didn't do a lot of shows, but then I would do one, you know, a couple a year and just make them awesome and big. And so I was just trying to build like <laughs> mystique around myself, I guess. And yeah, I just have fun, have, was having fun making the music. So then you said your first big song. You were going to say something about that. Oh, I was just going to say, but when it got popular, then, you know, they would call me to like play on Jimmy Fallon and all these cool TV shows and stuff. But I hadn't even really ever sung the song all the way through because I didn't really know how to sing. Like I said, I was just doing each part till I got it right. So... Yeah, it was just like I I was going on TV, but I really had like no idea what I was doing. And then years after that, I basically like had my first big hit. Then my career like really stopped and people would call me a one hit wonder and I had like nothing going. And that's when I really practiced, started practicing singing and learned to play guitar and piano. And so you took like lessons? Or... Yeah, then I started taking lessons. How interesting. That break must have been pretty powerful for you. Oh, yeah, that was amazing because my stuff first started to take off. I really got very full of myself, and I thought, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the man, you know, and my identity to myself got really wrapped up in, like, uh, being popular and cool and stuff, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't actually all of a sudden, it just kind of petered out, 
and I wasn't the man. And each day I was getting less popular and all that stuff. So I, I had to like confront that. Okay, okay, you're not, you're not what you thought you were. Those the words don't apply to you anymore. Popular, so who are you? And it was difficult at first, but then it was a real gift. So you took a break, and then is this when you started writing songs for other people? Yeah. So that first time you got recognized, I mean, to get big, like who found you, or did you pitch your music that uh, you were able to get on Jimmy Fallon and? No, get big? it didn't really work like that. It, it, like nowadays you just kind of start doing it. And so I started putting my stuff out online and my stuff started to spread like around first at my school, Duke. And then my friends that I went to high school with that they went to other colleges and live in different cities. And they spread it. They spread it. And so I, like basically in a few months, like I, I could play shows at like almost every college in America. And so people were contacting you to play the, the venues. Yes. Yeah, so basically like, yeah, I would go there and then people knew the words to all the stuff. I was just putting this stuff out for free at the time so nobody really discovered me it's just my movement started to happen and then I got record off the strength of that movement and and that kind of thing so and that's that's kind of how I think probably 99% of artists rise to prominence nowadays it's not some guy being like I'm gonna make you a star you know I think that does happen every once in a while but yeah mostly it you got to get it going on your own now but as a little kid, did you think, like, I want to be a musician? I didn't really think I could. I didn't really think I could. I, I thought, man, I'd just be happy to, like, work in an office at a record label. That'd be cool. I knew I loved music. And I knew, like, even if I had an office job, I'd still be making beats and stuff. But I would had no idea that I could actually do it until I was a, just finished high school and I got a job interning my mom said you got you, you better get a job this summer before you go to school man you're gonna be in the house bothering me so my parents did the same thing i got an internship at this hip-hop radio station in detroit called hot 1027 it's not a station anymore and uh all right one of the other interns was this guy named pat piff and he was in a group with this guy named sean and so they had this thing called Freestyle Friday where they let rappers from Detroit rap on the radio every Friday. And so I got to go on there and rap with, with Pat and and Sean. And uh, later, Sean became uh, Big Sean, who's like a very, very famous rapper now, probably one of the most famous in the world. But at the time, he was just like coming to my mom's basement and we were, you know, like recording and stuff. And eventually he got a record deal with... Island Def Jam and, and Kanye West and good music. And once he got that record deal, you're like, this was a guy I rapped with all the time and his hip hop. So everybody thinks there's the, they're the best. I thought I was the best. So when he did that, I went, whoa, uh, I'm better than him, you know? And I would say that if he's here too, I love him. He, he would say he's better than me. I thought, you know, I was good or it's better, better than him, man. Like, I remember it just changed my mind thinking, oh, I'm definitely going to get a record deal next. And that it just changed my whole life. He's probably sick of me like thanking him so much, but if he never did that, I wouldn't be here talking to you because once I once I wrapped my head around the fact that that was it wasn't maybe in my mind that was going to happen, it was only about 6 months until maybe 6 or 9 months until 
I too got a record deal. You know, he was going these meetings with Kanye and stuff. And then once he did it and I actually believed in myself, nine months I was in meeting with Jay-Z, you know, and I got a record deal after my junior year in, in college. That's amazing when you believe something and it happens. Yeah, I think that. So the question is, how do you how do you believe that if you don't have a big Sean, you know? So I think I think all of us are capable of wrapping our heads around something. So I think a, a belief, from Esther Hicks, she said, belief is a, is just a thought repeated over time. So you just practice this thought and maybe it's contrary to what you actually believe now. Like, man, I went, went 20 years thinking I could never get a record deal, but now I have to convince myself I, I will. And that doesn't happen like this, you know, but I'll do practices now. Like if I dreams, I'll go, for a walk, I say the same thing, like the sentence 15 times of envision it in my head. And it doesn't happen after one day, but you do that for 30 days, 60 days. You start to believe that thing, man. And then it just changes how you, I don't really believe in like the, there's, there's any like magic to it. It's more just like, okay, now that I believe it, I approach everything differently and things that seem like dead ends before actually are opportunities or like, I had a rule for myself, like if there was even a glimmer of hope in some like me being somewhere, going somewhere, I have to you know, I have to do it. So I think it just changes how you approach things after. I don't think it's magic, but I think changing a belief change how you act. And when you change how you act, different shit's gonna happen in your life. I love that you're also into Esther Hicks and the law of attraction. Yeah, Sean put me on that. I remember one time like uh I went to the studio with Big Sean. And like, he was just, he was just like glowing. Everyone, it just felt so good to be around him. I don't know what it was. So I asked him the next day, I was like, what's going on with you, man? You seem like you're in a great spot. He was like, you gotta read this book. Asking it is given. And the alchemist, he gave me, told me to read so those two books. So asking it is given is by Esther Hicks. And yeah. then the alchemist is by Paulo Coelho. Yeah. Okay. So you're a musician. You have a ton of success. You are nominated for a Grammy. You've written songs for like Bieber and Maroon 5. Mm -hmm. Actually, can I ask you about that? Like what's sure. it as an artist creating art for someone else? What was that like? I didn't create it for someone else. So I just create it. Ah. And after it's done, sometimes like I, I write a lot. Like sometimes I'll write 70 songs in a year. Wow. Okay, but you're only going to put your, your 10 or 12 on your album. And okay, so you got all these other songs. Some of them I hate, so I, nothing happens with them. Like I don't think everything. But you're I that do prolific that like seventy songs will come to you in a year. Sometimes, yeah. Last year I didn't write as many, but yeah, some some years. And then so sometimes it's just a song that it doesn't fit on your album, doesn't like tell the story, mm -hmm. or like in my case when I did those two songs, I was in my phase where I was like pretty much shelved. My career was at standstill. So my record label, they wouldn't, they weren't releasing any of the stuff I was doing. So these songs are pretty big. It's Boyfriend, which mm -hmm. is like one of Justin Bieber's biggest songs. Rocky Barnes is like in the video only because she was, Rocky Barnes? she's just like a really pretty girl who was the model at Body Glove when I worked there. So it's oh. so funny. And then Maroon 5. Yeah. You wrote Sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Those are huge songs. You Sugar. Hurrah. <laughs> I had that in the original. Hurrah. They didn't put it in. No, but yeah, I, we just, I just make the songs. And both of those songs I did with like 
friends of mine and uh either they didn't fit or those cases like my wasn't even really able to put out music so i'll let other people hear them and if they love them and they take them they change things here and there to make it fit for themselves and it's all good but i can't write for somebody else i can't go i'm gonna write a song for rihanna today i don't know how to do that i just know the stuff comes out of me and then it sometimes ends up in a different place and so do you keep like a pen and paper like by your bed like what happens when you're in the water and an idea comes to you or you're skiing and you don't have paper like do you just keep repeating no, it over and over in your head phone. it's sometimes usually the phone no you make a voice note or just write in the in the notes does this happen a lot like where do where do songs come to you sometimes sometimes not you know sometimes it'll be eight months i get no ideas and then sometimes two weeks it's like a thousand songs come out and you're like oh my gosh i'm in the zone right now when i'm in the zone too i don't shave i don't do nothing i don't turn the stuff off all the stuff stays on all night i don't do i don't mess with anything so you know the magic is just coming to you and you just stay in the moment and harness it yeah and just ride the wave man <laughs> We're definitely taking you surfing. But this is so, what's so interesting to me. You're not the kind of guy that goes and says, okay, I'm going to get to my desk at eight o'clock and just make music today. It just comes to you. And then when it's coming to you, 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 keep, you keep the lights on, basically. Yeah, keep going, keep going. That's a really interesting process. It's not always like that. Sometimes I'll have a, sometimes I'll be like, hey, man, like so-and-so wants to work with you. He's some like dope producer or some dope artist. And then the, the managers are putting on the schedule and like, you got to show up that day and make something. So I could do that too. But when I'm just living my life, yeah, just let it come. Being a star musician isn't easy. Mike felt like sometimes it could all be a bit of a circus. After releasing and promoting his album, A Real Good Kid, in early 2019, Mike was ready for a change of pace. When we come back, Mike and I dive deeper into the challenges and triumphs of his walk across the United States, including his encounter with a rattlesnake. Here at Wild Ideas Worth Living, we're big fans of taking the path less traveled. And when it comes to chasing down audacious dreams, we found it helps to have a pair of trusty sandals that go the distance. One of our faves, the new Universal Trail Sandal from Teva. Born on the shores of the Grand Canyon in 1984, Teva has always encouraged exploration. They've injected the same trailblazing spirit into their newest sport sandal. Crafted with quick-dry materials and a comfortable foot-hugging areoprene lining, the sandal's versatile Vibram outsole can tackle any terrain, from sidewalk to switchback. But the best part? Starting in 2020, 100% of Teva's iconic straps are made using recycled plastic, reducing environmental impact so future generations are free to explore. That's over 9 million plastic bottles kept out of landfills and put to better use by strapping sandals to your feet. So keep an eye out for the Universal Trail Sandal this spring with select colors available exclusively at REI or on REI.com. When the plans started to come together for Mike's walk across the country, he had high hopes, meeting up with fans, performing shows, and releasing new music along the way. And he did do a lot of that. A song came out every single time Mike crossed a state border. 
but he also realized slowly that the huge undertaking he'd signed up for, the physical and mental challenges of walking, well, they started to take their toll. So let's go back to the beginning. April 10th in Asbury Park, New Jersey, home of musician Bruce Springsteen. So why why did you start in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is like Bruce Springsteen land? Correct. I started there because um, originally I was going to walk to Detroit, where I'm from. So I was looking for like a straight line from the East Coast to Detroit. So it kind of put me in New York, New Jersey area. Um, secondly, it was very important for me personally to start my walk in the actual ocean and end it in the actual ocean. Not like, so I didn't really start in, I don't like saying I started in New Jersey. Like I started in the water. Oh, that's and so the cool. The whole thing. So I needed a place where there was actual like beach you could go. Like Manhattan was out because you can't yeah. swim there. So I knew Asbury Park had an actual beach I could get into. Yeah, man. So there was just like a bunch of towns on that eastern seaboard. And I the only one I really recognized that had a beach was Asbury Park. I like Bruce. So I was like, yeah, might as well start there. What songs <laughs> Bruce influenced you most? Uh, I like, I don't know how much they influenced me, but my favorite ones are, uh, isn't one called Going Down? I'm going down, 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 <laughs> that one. And uh, I like, um, whoa, I'm on fire. I like that one. You have such a good voice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so on the walk, not every day it was easy. You started in, in New Jersey. No, nah, like no days were easy, And how, how many miles a day did you do? Like 30? I got up to 30 at the end. That's a lot. That's the most I got. But like 15 a day is like a monster walk. Most of the time, I say my average is probably 24. I did 20. Like I started out just eight, but within a month or so, I was doing 20. And then I did that for probably a month and a half, then went up to 24. And then uh, I did 24 a long time. And then at the end, I started getting up to 30s. The very end. I, I was bummed, too. I was like, man, I'm just getting good at this. And you then know? it ended. Yeah. Okay, so day 114 into your hike. You're in eastern Colorado. You're pretty close to, like, the end. August, you get bit by a rattlesnake. Yeah. Crazy. like My buddy. Your buddy. My little buddy. Not many people would talk about rattlesnake as their buddy. I mean, what does it feel like? Not many people in the world have gotten bitten by hey, a rattlesnake. Maybe, maybe I needed a break, man. <laughs> it wasn't all bad. How did it feel? I felt like um, just like two little, two little like maybe wasp stings at first. That's the initial feeling, the bite. Pain isn't that bad from an actual bite. And then I was just sitting there and... I'm joking around, you know, waiting for the ambulance and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not that bad. I just feel like two little wasp stings. But then the venom started to go through me, I think. And uh, it felt like the, do you remember the Looney Tunes at the end? When the th circle gets smaller and it say, that's all, folks. That's how it felt. It just felt like darkness coming in from the edges on my whole awareness. Like the, like I was fading away, fading out. And, uh that kind of going waves you know, like I, I felt like I would just totally disappearing and yeah fading up fading out is, is the best way I could explain it and then I'd kind of snap back and go whoa and that happened that happened two times once while I was waiting for ambulance once when they first put me in the in the ER oh 
that's yeah, that's how it felt. But then, man, I was in the AC. You gotta understand, I was in the trenches, man. It was August. It was hot. My feet hurt. So then I was I was alone. You know, most of the time I'm walking, I'm alone. Every once in a while, a fan or somebody would show up before then. They walk with me, or my friend would come for a few days. But ninety percent of the time, you're out there alone. You know, like twelve hours a day walking, man. So. Then when I was in the hospital, I was in the air conditioning, nice bed, nurses around. So it wasn't all bad. You're man. like, this is like four seasons. And I was actually much harder than the bite itself was um, getting better from the bite mm. and realizing, okay, you can't just sit here and like soak in all this sympathy anymore. You need to get off your ass and go back to Colorado and walk a thousand more miles. That was the hardest part because I just wanted to stay there and people were cooking for me, you know. How yeah. long were you out from the bite? I was out three weeks. I was in the hospital five days and then they sent me home. I went home to Michigan and so I was there like a couple more weeks. And yeah, at first like I couldn't I mean, barely walk to the bath. I had a walker and stuff. I read that. You couldn't, you had to teach yourself to walk again. Yeah, I mean, that, that might be like a Maybe bit hyperbole. Yeah, okay. a bit hyperbolic, but it's true to some extent. Yeah, I had to first like just walk to the bathroom and walk to the kitchen, and eventually I was like walking down the street, and then I was getting up to one mile, two miles. I got up to eight miles at home, and I was like, all right, let me stop walking at home, man. These miles don't count, you know? Let me get back on the on the thing. I got a thousand more to knock out, so. That last thousand must have been... Was it more fun than the other thousands? It was a lot different. The the I think it was the day before I got bit by that snake. I met a guy named Stevie, and he was running across America the opposite way. So basically, imagine you know it's two guys. I started in the Atlantic Ocean. He started in the Pacific, and we crossed paths. That's so cool. So it was pretty powerful to be with him, and he basically took a day off from his run and walked with me west. So he went backwards. That's what I'm saying. I was like, man, Steve, you seem like a nice guy. Why well, ain't going east, bro? <laughs> you know? But he he was just a he was a gangster, man. He yeah. He was so running. he went west with you. He went west with me and he was just telling me like he was like, Do you listen to music? I was like, man, occasionally, but some a lot of times I call my friends when I'm walking. Uh, I do the first eight miles silent as a meditation. And he goes, Well, I didn't bring headphones. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm bringing headphones. I just wanted to go deep with myself. And at first it was horrible, but now it's like amazing. So when I was back home in Michigan, then I got bit by a snake and I'm like resting. And I decided like, man, when I go, when I go back to finish my walk, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it better. I don't want to just finish it. Like I got this time off. Let me like refocus in. So I was like, man, when I freeze the last thousand miles, I'm going to be, I'm not going to ever listen to music, ever use my phone while I walk. And I'm not going to, I'm going to recite, I'm going to be celibate. I'm just be locked in, man, for these last thousand miles. I just want to do it. And uh, it was just a beautiful experience, man. My mind, it lined up, man. And I went to places I didn't know I could go in my mind and was able to, just slow it down. It's just, yeah, re, this reality just showed up differently sometimes. You'd be out there and the walking, man. It was beautiful. It's beautiful. All things to Stevie, though. That's so interesting. What sort of things 
did you really focus on? Like, I know I read your dad had passed just a few years before and mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Losing your dad sucks. I lost my dad pretty young, suddenly to a heart attack and, and mm -hmm. your dad died of brain cancer. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's heavy. Did you think about him? Man, that's a lot, a lot of hours out there. So I'm sure I thought about him some of the time, but, um, my dad showed up in lot, when I was on my walk, he showed up in a lot of my dreams. Interesting. I don't know why, but he showed up in a lot of my dreams a lot. But I was walking, I learned how to like play songs. And that's that part without the headphones. I learned how to play songs like in my head. So I could like, I remember being, it's different than like, I don't know, it's, it's different. Like I could literally like go, I want to listen to Dave Matthews band so much to say. I could just play that song in my head perfectly. I would just listen to it and I could listen to it again. So I do that a lot. What was the best piece of gear you had when you're on when you're on your walk? Best piece of gear. Like so you didn't blister, like the right shoes, the right socks. Oh. I used a foot glide every day. I used REI liner socks, silk liner socks every day. But I still got blisters, man. This I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah, you walk that much. I was walking a lot, man. I was walking a lot. Were there like a pair of shoes that you really liked that helped? Yeah, those Solomons I used. Yeah, I would get bliss on the back of my right heel. Something about the way I walked. Like, I, there, if you look at the shoe, well, I gave away all the shoes or threw them out. I can't remember. But there'd be a hole in like the back right heel. Something about the way I walk my right foot. I wear these tights, man. The ones I'm wearing now. I had like a few pairs of those. I'm really into man tights. When I started, I would always wear these tights because I was afraid of ticks on the oh, East Coast. Smart. So they're white tights, white skin tight tights. And Don't then, worry, he's wearing shorts over And them. then it got really hot. <laughs> like it started to get hot for real, like in yeah. Missouri. And I was like, you know what? Shorts are coming off. So I was just wearing straight white tights. Oh, you just wore the white tights? Yeah, for like 2,000 miles. That's gangster. <laughs> it was... It was a super ag look, but it was like, man, people got to understand. I'm like alone out here with this heat, you know. Did you walk with poles? I walked with poles most of the time. And you liked them? I mean, I probably did like a thousand miles with them. And then I ditched them for like maybe 800 miles and I brought them back. But so when I got bit by the snake, I wasn't using them. And when I came back, I wanted to bring him back. I thought, man, if a snake comes, maybe it'll bite the pole instead of me. And so I used them like the last third or so of my walk, mostly for protection. Mm. There's a lot of dogs run up on you too oh, when, you're, when you're in like the country. Obviously, people would not tie up. Why would you tie what up? What do your... you do when a dog runs up? I poke my pole out at it and say, stay back. I have one pole out like this, and then I have another pole cocked over my head ready to hit it if it wow if it comes out but i never had to hit it that's good i also had dog spray on me oh interesting yeah those dogs man they come at that you that would freak me out Dude, you just gotta imagine you're on like a road that nobody's ever walked down and like three cars drive on it per month and oh, now like, here you are and it's like yucko putts walking down and the dogs like lose <laughs> yucko their putts these dogs lose their minds <laughs> oh man that's so scary so so this walk was like a wild idea to, to like the fullest. And I love that line you talk about where you say, well, one, you have this, you have this song. I want to live before I die. Is that a song from the walk? No, it's actually a song. And this happens sometimes in my life, multiple times. I wrote this song like, uh, maybe six years ago. And, um, 
but it just applied in my life more now. How interesting. It happens sometimes. But then you also talked about like wanting to make yourself proud. Mm-hmm. And so when you got to Venice Beach and you jumped in the water, it had to feel really freaking good. It was a really interesting feeling. It felt, uh, I didn't, f- I can't remember what I said this earlier, but I didn't feel accomplished. I felt wonder and possibility. Mm. I didn't feel, I didn't feel at all like, oh, I'm done. I did it. I didn't feel 0% of that. I felt like, wow, what now, what can I do? Man, like, look what I proved to myself. I, I walked from the Atlantic Ocean here, like, so mate, like, I could do anything, you know, anything. And so I think myself and most people, we underestimate the wonder and the peace and the possibility on the other side of a lot of suffering. Because make no mistake about it, anybody is, you know, you talk to that gentleman who did the run, it's hard. I mean, it's days I woke up and my feet hurt so bad that they were broken. I'll stand up, like barely be able to stand up some days and be like, how am I going to walk 20 miles today? But that was the beauty is like, okay, I felt that pain and decided to keep going anyways. And I did it. So that wonder and that achievement, that peace, uh, that possibility is on the other side of that suffering. Who I wanted to be. That superhero, that badass version of me, he's on the other side of that suffering. You got to go do that, feel that suffering, and you can be him. I love what Mike said about the feeling he got when he finished his walk. It wasn't one of accomplishment, but more one of possibility. That ending for him was another beginning. When you realize that you can do something, whether it's a short hike or a workout class or any huge feat, that experience can open your eyes even wider to all the adventures that are out there waiting for you. These days, Mike has turned his focus to the mountains. And now you're like, you're living in Utah in this like beautiful mountain town and (laughs) and you're like climbing more mountains. That's right. So like some people would like walk across America and be like, peace out, I'm done, I'm hitting the couch. Like, you know. I really had, like, no interest in becoming, like, a fat, old, white dude who talks about, like, yeah, that one time I did that cool thing, I did that walk. It's like, I have no interest in that. I'm more like to use use the walk as fuel for what I want to do next. And not all those things are physical, but a lot of them are they're more intellectual or um, artistic. But, um... I was like um, using the momentum to roll into the next thing. You know, I'm 31. I'm not just like, yeah, I did it. You're young. Yeah, I'll be, actually be 32 and like, what's today? The first? It's the first. 11 days. Awesome. February 12th. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you. What are you going to do? I'll be in the mountains, Colorado. Doing another activity? Yeah, I think we're doing kind of like a ski hut. Oh, cool. Yes, yeah, backcountry ski. Is it a man's trip? Oh, ask my uh, ask my coach. He's organizing. It I'm all. just curious that you have a coach. I'll learn learn to mountaineer. Oh. So he teaches me about that, man. Doctor John Kudrowski. Great. So you have a coach that's helping you with mountaineering. Yes. Yes. That's so badass. For sure, I wouldn't go on any of these mountains. I go on with coach alone. No way, man. <laughs> what drew you to the mountains? Like. Where does that desire to climb mountains come from? I think, man, I just, like I said, I went to camp when I was a kid in Colorado. 
and we used to um we used to go climb mountains i just thought it was like so amazing so dope and uh i kind of knew it was always something i was gonna like go back to and so i finished my walk i was like man if that's the thing if that's on your list like you should probably do it now you should get into it now you know so already when you got back, you did two mountains. Which mountains did you I went do? Mount Hood. I went on Mount Adams. Mount Hood, Mount Adams. Compagre Peak, Mount Elbert. Dude, you've climbed a lot of mountains. I was just trying to work out with Coach, man. I love this. Trying to show up. I want to ask you, you know, what happens after a journey like this? You know, we've had so many athletes and adventurers who come on this show and they've done something big. And afterwards, there's often like... There's this huge high, and then there's so much focus. Yeah, you get and depressed. Yeah, you, you yeah. get this low. Yeah. This is the hard thing. People go, how does it feel? I say, you don't even know. I, I don't even know yet. So I was in L.A., but somebody gave me a apartment to stay in. I just disappeared. I turned my phone completely off for two or three days. And I went out and stuff. I went to yoga. I went to the grocery store and stuff. But I just wrote and and just trying to wrap my head around what I did and how I felt about it. And then after those three days, um, I went to stay with one of my good friends, Chad Mouton. Chad's special because he he uh, he he tells me like it is, man. So you know, you walk across America, you get in your own head a lot. You're in your own universe. So I knew Chad would be like. If I was being weird, he'd be like, dude, you're being weird right now. You need to. <laughs> and he did it a couple of times. You know, he's like, would you like to start thinking about somebody other than yourself today? <laughs> you know? I like this friend. Yeah, he's the man. So I knew I knew I could get that from him. So I went and stayed with him and his wife and his daughter for, I don't know, it was five days, six days. Just in there, just you know, little apartment. I was like staying. His daughter slept with her parents. I was just in her room, like in bunk beds, mad stuffed animals and stuff. You know, that's, that's awesome. why I needed to be around him and 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 them. And I, I really had a. I thought I was gonna get. I thought I was gonna get pretty depressed or low, like you said. And I really didn't. I really didn't. Probably being around like a little kid and family was helpful. And then, and then just you know, just working on something else, like do something else. My future's just too fast He don't stop for no one That's no lie So dear Lord won't you please Give me wisdom, grant me peace Cause I just wanna live before I Live before I die Any advice to people who You know, everybody listening to this podcast Has a wild idea some of them feel stuck. Some of them, for whatever reason, they just like can't make it happen. Any advice on how to make a wild idea happen? Mm, you're going to die. You know, I'm going to die. You're going to die. Everybody listening is going to die. So you just got to decide. You, wanna, you want that thing to be part of your experience in this life or not. And uh, if you do, you got to do it now. You know, everybody wants you to forget you're going to die. Why? Because then you waste time doing what they want you to do. You go work for their company, make money to buy shit that they're selling, and you need to take back some some sovereignty over yourself. And you do that, I think, by remembering that this doesn't last forever. So me, myself, you know, my idea that we've been talking about a lot, that was probably the coolest thing I've done in my life to change who I am, 
I put that off for five years. Why? Because I thought, oh, I'll get to it later. And it wasn't until my dad died and my friends, could my friends die, I realized, man, like, I got to do that now. So I bring my five-year wait period up as an example of how not to be. Like, don't be like me. Don't, don't put it off for five years. Like, now is the time. You either go do it or not. And uh, whatever reason you have for not doing it is probably an excuse. So when I was walking, I met so many people like, man, I got this thing I want to do, but I'm too old. And I meet somebody else a few days later. I want to do this, but I don't have enough time. I meet somebody else. I don't do this, but I don't have enough money. There are all those reasons are really excuses. And I had my own reasons slash excuses for five years. So I think it's easy for somebody to listen to this and go, oh, it's, it must must be nice. Easy for you to say, Mike, you know, you're, you're a successful musician. You can do whatever you want. But if you look at the people who've walked across America, none of them are successful musicians except me. Like, And there's people that do it every year. And most of them don't have any money that didn't stop them. So what's your excuse? Don't look at whoever is doing it and pick apart you know why they're different than you they're not different than you so uh, you just gotta make a decision like what kind of life you want to live a normal one or an extraordinary one do it now don't make excuses don't say i'll do it when this happens or i'll do it when i've accomplished that other thing just go pursue the adventures that you've always dreamed about in doing so you'll discover you have more potential than you realized Thank you so much to Mike Posner for having us at your house or your friend's house in Utah, running around in the snow with me, letting us eat your peanut butter. I totally appreciate your vulnerability and your humor in our conversation, and I'm addicted to your music. You can also check out Mike's music, and you can follow his latest adventures on Instagram at Mike Posner, where you can follow him doing ice baths, climbing mountains. I mean, the guy is doing so many great things. Join us week after next as I talk to climber Jesse Huey about finishing a route started by his late friend, Hayden Kennedy. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Matola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. I read all the reviews and some of them are super funny, but I hope you remember some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Wildest Ideas.